Welcome to Creative Bones, a podcast exploring what it means to be creative. I'm your host, Trish Johnston, a seasoned graphic designer of over 20 years and the creative director of my studio, Othamstone. I'm on a mission to understand creativity more. Are we born with it? Is it our environment? Or is it something that we can learn to be? I want to understand this crucial component of my craft better and how it impacts our ability to problem solve and make decisions. At the end of my life, I want to know that I've left my best creative ideas behind. So whether you've got a creative bone in your body, or maybe none at all, join me as I have conversations with experts, mentors, colleagues, and friends across a number of fields, asking them about their version of creativity. Meet Manny Galactetis. He's the creative director of Even Dots, a graphic design studio here in Canberra, helping SMEs, government and not-for-profits. He's a fellow University of Canberra graduate with a career that spans over 23 years, way back when paper plates and bromides were still a thing. While I wanted to have conversations with experts outside our creative industry, I also wanted to chat to a graphic designer early on in the series to get their take on what it's like to have to be creative every day. Manny and I spoke about how his creative brain works and how he and his team collaborate with their self-proclaimed non-creative clients. The first question I asked Manny was, after you've won $100 million and you've done all the sensible things like paying off the house and your bills and maybe traveling, how do you spend your time on day two? I really hope you enjoy my chat with Manny. I think I would still go to work. You reckon? Yep, absolutely. Probably not as much. I'd think about the things I don't enjoy doing at work. I'd pay someone to do those with the remaining money. Yep. (laughs) And then I'd go back to work. Yeah. I'd just work less. I'd probably work five days a week, but maybe four hours a day. So I'd do a drop off in the morning with the kids. I'd pick them up in the afternoon and if they didn't have anything on, we'd do an activity or something and not think about work again till 10 a.m. the next day after a sleep in. After a sleep in. Yeah. Okay. So you've got to drop them off because you're a good parent. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I asked that question because I think when people get the money and they think about, okay, we pay off the house and we're going to go on holiday. But I think how you spend your time shows what you're most passionate about. And I asked Lackey, my husband, about, um, what he doing? He's like, I'd restore an old car. Mm. So it was not that I would buy the best car. I'd buy a Mustang or I'd buy a Mini. He's like, I would, I wouldn't worry about work. I'd just tinker in the garage. And if I didn't know how to do something, I've got the time to learn how to do it. Or I'll buy the best equipment or I'll learn how to weld or, or something. Yeah. So well, definitely education. I think learning new things is something that I haven't invested time in with having a family and, and a business and just everything else that goes on with being an adult. Because I have been looking at a HG um, wagon that I've been trying to eye off to to do a bit of a restoration. But the reality is I don't have the time for things like that now, unless I win $100 million, which would be nice. No, it'd be so good. (laughs) So if you didn't have to work as much, would you keep working? I think I I think I I like it. I, I love what I do. So the idea of doing it for money feels like it cheapens it. When sometimes you take on a job, you go, well, you know, this one's a a really profitable job. There'll be a bit of fat in this one. And thinking about work like that, rather than thinking about it in a, oh, this looks like fun, or we can help this person, or, or, wow, this would be something different that um, we haven't done. You know, we don't do a lot of animation, so we can really spend weeks on learning, crafting something new would be. It's really about what you think is 
best for the project, not where the budget is leading. Yeah, yeah. Heart-led rather than budget-led. And also then I'd be able to find clients that you feel are, are deserving. You know, we already do a lot of work with Lifeline, but then actually turning around and going, well, who really aligns with our company values and the team values as a whole and just going, what's near and dear to us and how could what we know teach or benefit uh, another not-for-profit that does so much good in a community and we could just help them along with doing what we do well and, and that'll sort of help them do what they do well. So I think doing that and picking what really aligns with values, keep doing what we're doing, but not advertise for clients, not try to do that. Just if we're not busy for a month, we can not work for a month and then <laughs> pick up the clients we, you know, we, we want to work for and, and create a positive impact in the community. So I think that's, that's for me, you know, where I'd want to spend my time is, is what would benefit everyone else with, with my time. How can I keep myself busy and still enjoy myself? Um, who are the people that I'd want to hang out with? What are the things that I'd like to learn or do or without then removing money and being, being an adult and having to pay bills and mortgages and, um, and all of that, that's gone. So it's like really narrow down who we are as people values and then just go, great, we can live our life like that because we've got all the money we need now. It's sort of like when you go on a holiday and you think, I could live here or, you know, this holiday house that I'm overlooking on this beautiful view or, or the beach, oh, I could live here. But when you're on holiday, you don't have bills and yeah. phone calls and obligations. It's just you wake up, you eat, you go to the beach. Yeah. And I think that the reason why I wanted to ask that was just when all that everyday stuff is just sort of sorted, what really lights you on fire. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's cool. You've obviously... You're obviously a creative person. Would you describe yourself as creative? Um, I think that's, I'd describe myself as, I don't know if you'd call this creative, but I think I'm an adaptive thinker. I think I don't like to just take something for it has been done like this. Is there a better way of thinking about something, whether it's landscaping and putting a downpipe in going, oh, should we run it that way or should we? you know, maybe redirect it here and put a sump here in the backyard because that'll get water flow. You know, I still think that's a creative process. I think defining creative as I think in what we do as, as designers going, oh, am I creative? Can I think of these, a, a, a new way of designing a logo that's never been done before? Or, you know, what if we launched a campaign that was so groundbreaking, the world would just like gasp. Um, I think where because we design every day, that's what I think of as creative is campaigns and marketing and graphics and um, but yeah, I think I would, but not in the traditional sense of I draw stuff. Uh, more in the I like to pull things apart. Anything the remote control? Why is it not working? Oh, you know, is, no. is there a bit of <laughs> is there a bit of rust on the wire? Ooh. What if we did this? Oh, maybe if we tinker and grab a paper clip and use that as a, you know, like just just anything from simple stuff to big things. Like, So you want to understand if we're going to do it this way, then why are we doing it this way? Or are we doing it because it's always just been done? Yeah. 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 I can really relate to that. I, I like that term adaptive thinker. I think you're thinking on your feet and you're, you're questioning, like, why have we done it mm. this way? And I think that's the key to being creative because- I guess the, the traditionally understood definition of something creative is that it's new and useful. So something can be new and not useful or it can be useful and not new. But mm. it's in the combination of the two that it becomes by dictionary definition yeah. creative. 
but I, I like that way that you describe yourself as an adaptive thinker because you, you think you're on your feet and you, you're questioning everything. If a client comes to you and goes, oh, we've just done it this way, I think you're like, oh, challenge accepted. Yeah. Like, let's actually do the complete opposite. Yeah. For good reason. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's do a bit of research into it first and go, oh, um, it's surprising when you come full circle and you think you're going to innovate something and you get back and go, I was actually working really well. How yeah. it was, darn it, I'm a failure. Well, at, at least though you've confirmed, like, I think we blindly go into, okay, well, you know, the finance industry is like this or even, you know, accountants and, and lawyers who it's very, very legal, I still pride say, you know, like there's governance and compliance and everything. Yeah. And then as creators, we come in and we want to just upturn the apple cart and you know, think of how creatively, but they're like, no, we do it this way for a reason. But I think it's always important to explore it so you can go, well, we've done the due diligence on, is this actually the best way to do it? And even if we land back at, yes, it is the best way to do it, at least we've explored it and we have made a concrete decision that, yes, it's the right way to go. Doing it with confidence. There's no stone unturned to know that the outcome is, is the best one. Yeah. Not just because you're told to do something. Exactly. Do you feel the pressure to be creative, like as a graphic designer, being creative as KPI about our industry? Yeah. Do you you feel that pressure? Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Your eyes just twitches a little. Yeah, just just a little bit. I'm just wigging out a bit. Um, Yeah, every day it feels like we're only as good as our last project. Um, And even if we've done something amazing, you know, we've built out so many awesome brands um, and then the client won't like it. And then because they don't like it, we deem that as a failure. Um, but it's just subjective. Like I know we speak about it all the time, just so subjective, you know, they don't like that colour. So the whole thing is doomed and, you know, and, and it makes you feel like, oh, that wasn't good. And that last project we worked on, everything was so smooth and it was groundbreaking and we won an award for it. And we felt like a hero. We walked down the street and, you know, everyone sort of was like, oh, there's, there's those people that did that awesome thing. And um, it just feels like that is it. And you kind of want to take that snapshot. And that was your 10 out of 10 project or nine out of 10. And then the next one you go, well, if that was only a nine, all my projects need to be a nine. And if they're less than a nine, then, then that's not good enough. It has to be a nine or above now. And then you get to a 10 out of 10, you go, wow, that was a perfect delivery of everything. I don't know. You go from there if you reach 10. Yeah. Like it's 10 or nothing. Yeah. Go home, you know. (laughs) So, yeah. So that I think daily it's especially when you find similar projects and they're not new. It's probably why I like new projects because you set the bar each time, you know, whether it's social media or animation or whatever, a a downpipe again in in your backyard. If it's a new project, you set the benchmark for that new project and you feel like you're just constantly, I'm constantly trying to branch out and find new things because nothing will exceed that 10 out of 10 brand that we did that we got an award for or this really cool tagline that we decided we'd throw into a campaign that everyone just praised us and was like, oh my God, how'd you think of those three words? So I think something new constantly because that creates a new benchmark so that we don't feel like we're failing on something and find, yeah. Do you think as um, creative people we're chasing I don't know if that, like we want validation for I send you a logo and you like it and that makes me feel really good because we were talking before about we just put our heart and soul into everything and it shouldn't be personal and you should remove yourself from it. But I think that's what makes me a better designer than mm-hmm. I just, I, I'm all in. And I, I can take feedback and I can 
mm-hmm. see things from a constructive criticism point of view, but so much of my thinking and my heart is in my work. So how do you separate yourself from if someone doesn't like your work and you've put your heart into it? Um, I'm, I don't know if it's a, a strength or it can be both, I guess, at times. I kind of have two speeds with everything I do. So it's either a zero, I'm going really slow or a hundred miles an hour. And it's also the same with my thinking. I don't have an in-between. I'm either in this super creative process or super analytical. So I try break away from the creative side when I'm talking to clients because my emotions aren't really involved in my analytical brain. So the client could tell me things are horrible and I'm okay with it because I'm just trying to map out a path with, okay, why is it horrible and what's this? And let's go step by step and identify this and identify that and then go through it. And then then afterwards, look at all their feedback that I've scribbled down. And and then that's when I'm thinking about how their feedback becomes this, the next solution and how we adapt and pivot. That's usually when the emotions come out because I'm kind of creatively thinking and you know, start swearing at the client and the page and throwing keyboards. And um, yeah, so I think that's kind of where it is. I, I sort of just try really make sure I'm in analytical brain, not emotional so that I don't react emotionally with the client because communicating is part of what we do as designers and then conveying a message in whether it's written, verbal, anything, I think part of that communication process. So pulling that back in being analytical, full dot point everything, not fluffing it out and then assessing it later. Otherwise the relationship with the client just goes there and then yeah. because they had a bad day and they've decided they're going to take it out on the designer that that yeah. didn't that didn't <laughs> deliver what they exactly what they wanted. Well, it's interesting what you just described is the difference between divergent and convergent thinking when it's to creative. So divergent thinking is when we just go wide in ideation and we just yeah. go, right, what are all the possibilities? They might not work, but let's just cast it wide in a loose kind of thinking. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And just think of all the crazy ideas. And then convergent thinking is like in accordance with the brief, those three options are out. But oh, let's follow that path. So you sort of go through multiple divergent and convergent phases throughout the design process. And I think what you just described is that when you're with the client and you're ticking off, does it meet the brief? It's a very convergent way of thinking and very logical. Whereas then you can go away and you're going, right, we've got the parameters, let's go crazy. Mm. And then you you adapt to that. So it's really interesting that you said that because it just reminded me of these two different types of creative thinking. Yeah, yep. So you use them when you need to but you need both together you can't be just you know we hear of agencies where the you know the cram director is just off with the fairies and you have all these brilliant loopy ideas but then they won't answer your email they haven't buttoned the shirt properly (laughs) you may be checking if i've got the shirt button properly (laughs) when's the last time that you really had to think on your feet um Every day being a parent. (laughs) Um, I feel like it's a daily process. I think it's every client meeting. I love spitballing in meetings. So some of the clients that we deal with, I almost have to pre-warn them first and just go, hey, so... I'm probably going to throw out a whole bunch of ideas while you're talking. They might not have any sort of solid foundation, but we just get them out there. And if they stick to the wall, they stick to the wall. So, so don't take this as this is our strategy for all the design collateral that we're creating. This is just a, you're talking, 
I'm just literally rapid firing stuff as you're talking. So I think it's daily with the way that we like to run client meetings. It's, it's a, okay. So what did you say? You said blue. What about pink? And how does this adapt? And (laughs) we sort of just really spitball. Some clients like it. And we find that if they don't like it, then maybe we're not a good fit to work together. Maybe they're a bit more rigid or, or maybe it's a good combination. But I think daily, every client meeting is almost that is unpacking it, getting their instant feedback, seeing that look on their face and going, oh, so you didn't like that. It's like, oh no, you're thinking about that? Oh, okay. Where do we pivot from there? It's a really good point that you make about the briefing and the feedback sessions, because it's about looking at facial expressions and Mm. verbal communication about how does that color make you feel? Or, you know, if someone, I'd say my clients, if you don't respond with at least three exclamation marks in your email, like we're back to the drawing board. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about well, yeah, I like it as opposed to, oh my gosh, that's the best thing you've ever done. Or, yeah, yeah. Or, so how do you think you've honed that skill? I mean, we've been in the industry a very similar amount. Yeah, think, yep. But do you think, if you think back to when you were a junior. Oh, well, like, yep. Please, please, please like my work. Yeah. I'm so attached to my work and I'm a bad person if you hate my design. Yeah. Um, as opposed to now where you can pick up on those nuances of, um, a nonverbal communication or getting information out of a client. If they say, I don't like orange, mm. is it that they don't like orange or did they have a bad experience with orange? Yeah. What's yeah. their perception of orange? And did they used to have, you know, they worked in retail when they were 15 and they had to wear a horrible orange shirt. Now they hate orange. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you find that's changed since you first started the industry? Yeah. Um, probably more listening. I think before it was you pick a color and sometimes you you're in the meeting and you're giving the client all this fluff about why this color's psychology is the color it needs to be and and pretty much exactly what you said you sort of pick up on that cue they say they don't like orange you go so that you don't like it like does it just not work like we picked orange for these reasons but we're okay for you to tell us we're wrong or that you think there's a better way and we collaborate like, you know, so, so I think it's almost giving the client that permission to say, it's okay to be blunt, tell us exactly what you think, like explain it so we understand it and then we'll, we'll adapt from there. So I think that's from, from when we, we, I say we, cause I think, you know, uh, uh, for the last quite a few times, like years I've been, I've always worked in a team. So other than when I was freelancing, it was always in a studio or something. So when I say we, I always think that a studio should be a collaborative approach. It shouldn't just be one person takes lead, one person takes credit. Sometimes one person's input in the studio is what just gives something that, oh, it's only a, you know, it's only a two out of 10. And then they just put a little dot next to something and you go, oh my God, this is like a nine out of 10 after you've put that dot there. I cannot believe this. Like what the heck? But I think the client can still have that impact on your job. I think sometimes if we can ask them the right questions and adapt and listen. So Going back to your question, what's changed? I think it's the fact of listening, getting them involved and actually making them have the ownership of it going, cool, you, you want it orange or you want it blue now or, or you want a seraphon or, or you want me to entertain putting that dot at the end of the company name, like the full stop. You think that'll let's entertain that so that you can make sure that what we finish with is no stone unturned and they love it. And then they get that three exclamations at the Absolutely. end of it. Whereas sometimes you change it, change it, change it. You've listened to them. They feel happy that you've listened and they go back and say, what you had was actually the best. But, but now that we've explored it, yeah, I, I now love it. You've just turned that exact same thing 
just in communicating into the three exclamations instead of just, I like it, like they love it. I think that's what's changed. Collaborating with the client to give them something they love because we walk away from it. Hopefully we get recognition from our peers, but I think it's, there's nothing more soul crushing than when you finish something, the client says they like it and you see them then redevelop it 12 to 18 months down the track. That's just soul crushing. Do you think with your clients, is there sort of an education piece that you do along the way where we use a word as professionals that maybe our clients don't really understand? You know, there's so many technical terms about bleed and printing and space and everything. We're making these decisions because, yes, we are creative people, but we've also got this depth of knowledge about, well, we could do that, but that ink is physically going to bleed into the paper and the clarity is not going to be as much and um, it's too small for embroidery. So do you find if you've got these longer relationships with your clients and you're working as a team, you're collaborating, that they can then start to trust your decisions? Yeah. And yes. Yeah. Like I think... Pretty simply, yeah. I think new clients are like first dates. You, you're trying to work out, can we have a relationship? Is this going to be long-term, short-term? Are we going to see each other again? You try work that out because as much as we say we'll work with everyone, I think that's just a statement we've made is we, we work good with people, but we get amazing results with certain people and really trying to build that persona and saying, hey, so what you'll get from us is we're going to go above and beyond. And, and half the time, we're just going to give you extra stuff because we were excited about it. Um, we couldn't be bothered calling you and saying, hey, what if we do this? And we just, we were in the thick of it. So we just did this stuff for you to look at. So we sort of lay that expectation early is they're going to get everything from us, but what we expect from them as well. So we expect them to respond to us. We expect them to be honest. Uh, we expect them to trust us. Um, And if they can't trust us, then it's how do we build that trust with them? Do you ever have anyone who doesn't consider themselves very creative, say a client, come to you and just be like, I have no idea where to start. Help us. How do you guide those people who don't perceive themselves as very creative? I think it's starting with if it's a builder and they're talking about a website, then I'll try get them to understand if we build a foundation for this, it's not going to work for this. And we really have to put this foundation in if you want a two-story house. This isn't going to work with this if you want to do it that way. So it's like, if you want to get over here, we have to lay a really solid foundation, hence the reason why we're doing this, so they can understand what we're doing. So most of the time it's about talking in a way that they understand and not in design terms. Let's just start with whatever we're doing, why are we doing it? And once we do it, what's that goal? What's it going to solve? And then working backwards to present day. So they go, well, I don't know where to start. It's like, yeah, but you know where you want to go. So you want to go on a holiday. Do you like the cold? Great. Let's go to the snow. Do you like the heat? You do? Great. Do you like bushwalking? You don't? Okay. So this is more a beach holiday if you like the warmth. So it's really going, you, you know what you're trying to achieve. You don't have to be creative and really getting them to think that well, not think, because quite often they are, they almost become your muse. You tr- try to draw some inspiration from them to create and get their goal. So once they're there, they don't feel so reserved to give their creative opinion just because it's something they haven't done. Like I think everyone's creative in a sense if they can just think in a different way, not just like point A, point B, just work out where we're going, spitball ideas, see what works, see what doesn't. We have had clients that just go, no, no, no well, here's the money, here's the budget. We don't want to be involved. We just want this at the end. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think that's from our first meetings. I'll always say we collaborate 
So we might even get halfway through doing something and just go, hey, we think we should change direction, but we want your input. And what do you think? They go, well, that's why are you wasting our time? You know, so clients like that, we don't want to work with. And the ones that don't think they're creative, as long as they're comfortable to answer a question, then they'll actually find they'll start owning the outcome and they'll love it more. So you almost pluck what's in their head, pop it in the little mixing bowl, mix it in with, you know, some of our ingredients, mix it back around and then, you know, and then bake it and then show them and they just go, wow, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, I can't believe that you pulled that out of my head. So I almost enjoy working with those clients that want to contribute, but don't think they can because they've never done it. They crunch numbers or something. It's really interesting. I think that everyone's creative and what you just touched on about that, everyone's a problem solver in some capacity. Like if you've ever ordered pizza to 10 friends <laughs> on a Friday night and, you know, Julia's gluten-free and Sam's a vegan and it's Tuesday, but you only get a free garlic bread on a Saturday, yeah, yeah. you're a problem solver. And I think suddenly you go, okay, if we put those two codes in, but then I go pick it up, but I've had three beers, so you're going to have to come with me. So, <laughs> And you start problem solving. I think that traditionally, I guess people go, well, you're a graphic designer, you are creative. I am an accountant. I'm not allowed to be creative because I'll go to jail. So I think there's this very traditional divide in what other people think of us as creative. But when you start asking those questions and you start asking their opinion, then they might not have the solution, but they're very much part of Mm. the solution and and solving that problem. And you reflect it back to them and, and suddenly you're all a little bit more creative. So do you think that we're born creative? Um, Yeah, I think we are to some extent. It just comes out in different ways. Some people enjoy subject A, subject B, subject C. And I think we have to, in some way go, well, I have to think of a different way because I just broke something and I need to, you know, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, but I don't have the screw. I've lost the screw. So what can we do? Can we use some glue? We haven't created a video or a, a social campaign or anything, but you, you've just worked out how to how to roll up a piece of sticky tape so it's now double-sided sticky tape and pop it in the lid and close it and then it sticks and <laughs> and that's going to last for a little bit. You know, it's something like that, I think. Yeah, I think we are all born to create. I think it sort of shows as kids get to teenagers that they're told to not do something or there's the constraints and, mm-hmm. and they just want to go outside of those constraints. So I think we are at some stage, maybe not born, but at some stage we want to be creative because we want to push boundaries of what we are told we should or shouldn't do for whatever reason. We just go, let's test it out. Well, I love how your face just lights up when you talk about, before you're talking about spitballing ideas and talking to clients, collaborating. And I wonder whether as you were going through school, did you have a parent or a caregiver or a teacher really encourage your imagination and your creative side? Or was it self-directed? Or So I, I can go back to why I started designing. All my friends in primary school could draw and I sucked at it. Yeah. Uh, but being a really, I don't know if you'd call it stubborn or determined or just wanting to fit in, I went home every day and I traced comic books uh, for the better part of a year. And when it came out class, the teacher would get us to pin up our stuff. And I just remember going through the whole year and going from tracing to then replicating, to then creating my own stuff. And I just remember drawing something and the teacher just picked it up and I was just like, oh yeah, thinking, yep, yep. And it was my artwork. Like, so we're talking like, you know, year three or year four, so I'm eight or nine years old, somewhere there. And just thinking, 
I got good at it. I sucked at it. I got good at it. So I think there was a few lessons in there going, okay, well, you know, where does this creative journey start and how do we do this? And so was there that teacher that picked up your drawing and liked it? Did they encourage you to pursue that or did they go, wow, tell me why you decided to make the duck blue? No, but that teacher, every Friday afternoon, he played the guitar and he'd let us pick songs. And so I always saw him as a bit of a creative teacher anyway. Um, he was fun. He used to draw as well. So if he ever asked us to do an exercise and He'd say, get out your notebooks. He'd sort of on the blackboard, draw out a little notebook on the blackboard and just go, here's what we're doing. And go, everyone, get your notebooks out. So I think I always saw him as creative because he just did these little doodles and they weren't even that good. But I just liked that he just put himself out there and draw something. But I never really, until later, look at it now, I just go, some of his stuff was terrible. Like he'd draw on the yeah. blackboard, but he was just always creative. So I think not that he nurtured it or anything. I liked how he just showed his creativity daily, whether it was through singing, music, drawing, even the way he'd grade your reports. He'd, you know, it wouldn't just be a stamp or a smiley face. He'd draw his own little smiley face with the tongue spitting out, kind of, you know, so, so I just found cool. things like that fun. So I think that's the whole design journey mm. started from, yeah, sucking at drawing <laughs> and, and someone, someone pinning up my thing, my, my picture going, Really good job. That's great. You've come a long way. You went. Or like how you said, uh, where he just exhibited his creativity daily, like everything he did in his life, the way that he just was like, oh, okay, I'm going to draw a little icon on the board. I'm going to do a um, my own smiley face on your report card or something. Yep. And it's almost like it was just who he was, like it was oozing out of mm. his creativity. And, and were you drawn to him as a I guess, a, a teacher and a leader as opposed to other teachers. He's obviously stuck out in your mind. He's a lighthouse in your memories. Yeah. Uh, I had a few teachers like that. I think I'm a passive person, I guess. So the minute someone sort of demands or dictates that something has to be done a certain way, um, I just have this friction against it going, nope, not happening. Um, whereas I just enjoyed the way he taught. It was like, hey, do this this way. And you just go, how come? So he, he let you ask that, how come? Um, other teachers go, well, that's what we've said. That's what we're doing, you know, so because I said so. Because I said so. So I hated that. So I actually take that over to my parenting as well. Ask as many questions as you want. The, the why are we doing this is good as long as you're not being cheeky because if you're being cheeky because you just try to ruffle my feathers, well played, and, yeah. and you're going to. But I think his approach of why, why are we doing this, and, and I still don't get it, and cool, I'll – Come over here. Let's let's work it out. And you never felt stupid if you asked it as well. Yeah. So three other kids in the class who were thinking the same thing. Yeah. So he'd sort of get up and go, "Oh, look, Sarah's brought up an interesting question. Hey, Sarah, get over here." It's like we might be doing algebra or something or uh, trigonometry. You know. So he was good at explaining everything, whether it was maths or art or PE or music. So get up and he'd go, "Cool, Sarah." So write down the problem on the board that but you never felt like you were being berated in front of the class. You actually yeah. felt like, hey, ask. And that's a really good question. Let's all go through it. And Sarah can go through it with you as well. So she's going to write it down. We're going to work it out. She's going to get it because she's doing it. And then she can sit back down and go, oh, got it. But it's beneficial to everyone. It's almost like you were rewarded for questioning. It was actually, this is an awesome learning opportunity. Let's all ask the question. Yeah, yeah. And like you said before, you know, if we land back at the same place and it is the right way, then at least we've explored it. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, my last question for you is you challenge a lot of things, not in a, you know, in a <laughs> stroppy kind of way, but, you know, you're curious and you're creative yeah. and you're adaptive thinkers. So what's something in our industry that you think is either it's the time to change or you've, you've questioned something in our industry that you think is ready to be moved on or changed or questioned? Or really, oh, sounds like we're trying to revolutionise something, like yeah. we're <laughs> making this big impact. Um, whereas I, I think there's a lot of small things. I, I think one thing I'd really love to see changed, um, and you and I have obviously jumped into some of the UC course moderation bits and pieces, is really bridging that gap between graduating and working. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also somewhere in amongst there as well, work experience is work experience. But, but you know, if you're doing an in- internship that it's paid and that becomes a norm. Uh, so I'd like to see long-term placements that just aren't work experience become paid for people. So it becomes beneficial. They feel more rewarded. They're not just, it's not a free ride. They're actually getting paid to do something they learn. But I think bridging that gap between finishing uni and actually being a functional, not so hand-holdy kind of designer, I think there's a massive gap in there. Um, there's so many, I don't even know where to start processes as well. I I don't like how a lot of studios gate the way we collaborate from client to account manager, to senior designer, to one of the other designers. And I've worked in a lot of studios, big and small, and some of the slightly bigger ones, you you don't get recognition. You don't even get a pat on the back for doing all this heavy lifting. And it just feels like you're, you're not worthy, you know, like it's a big Wayne's world thing, you know, I'm not worthy. So I think I'd like to see that change, that whole collaboration as a team, juniors actually be involved in meetings, not, not sort of being pulled back, more praise. I, th- I think it's changed since I was at uni where a lot of the big agencies we just used to see, and, and there was this real mentality of you'd see work done and you'd know it was good, like deep down in your gut, you knew it was good, but the standard reaction was we could have done better than that. And there was no praise of seeing other people's work and going, that's awesome, like well done, and seeing as the Canberra community or wherever you are as a region producing good work and praising that and giving each other a pat on the back. It was always like, we wanted that work and we didn't get it and we can do better than that. Let's steal some clients and let's, so that's phased out. But I think that next part is, yeah, internally how a studio works so that you can get that recognition through. I think it's probably culture is one thing I'd like to change internally. So um, not criticizing anyone now, but, but it did feel like that was a bit of the norm and few stories here and there that you kind of hear and you're like, eh, might just be isolated stuff, but it'd be nice to, to change. I, I do agree. It's changed. I know, um, you know, when I was coming up through studios, it was very, you'd turn up to these group government briefings and you'd power dress a little bit to turn up. Whereas now we turn up to an event and we know each other, but we're excited to hear about what each other are working on. Say, I'll see your work and go, oh, I would have thought of that. That's really cool. Maybe I can apply that in a different way Yeah, yeah. my clients. So where it is that collaborative way across studios, but then we're also looking to other industries as well to go, okay, well, I did that drain pipe in the backyard and that angle was like this, but ooh, that might make a good shape for a logo or yeah, yeah. a great graphic device. And we're inspired by so many different areas. And I think that extends to being inspired by our colleagues as well, yeah. because you know, 
we're really strong typesetters, but like I'm not a great illustrator and I I don't know how to do animation or anything, but I need to remember that I just love typesetting so much. I love talking to clients and I love thinking of creative projects and not to compare myself to other people and be inspired by them rather than thinking, oh, they're more creative than me. Just because I wouldn't have thought about that doesn't mean that I'm less of a designer. Yeah. So... But can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about Even Dots and maybe about your processes and what it's like to work with you? Oh, sure. We've got a lot of resources, but I think most of the stuff will be on our new website, evendots.com.au. Yep. Uh, we're, we're rebranding as well. Yeah. Um, the name will stay the same, but I think we just want to align with our clients a bit more. But uh, And there'll be a few more resources on there as well. So little sort of fact sheets and things of things to think about when you want to rebrand or starting a new business so that's where they can find most of our stuff and obviously on our socials we're not creative so that's it thank you that was fun (laughs) i never walk away from a conversation with manny feeling worse off His attitude and energy is so contagious and I wish you could have seen how his face lit up when he started talking about design and running his business. A highlight for me in our conversation was when Manny spoke about his primary school teacher and the opportunities he created every day to stretch his creativity, but also to celebrate the curiosity of his students in a safe space. It reminds me of some of the research that I read about the creative influence that we have over other people around us, whether it's family, friends, colleagues, or especially the young people in our life. It could be as simple as a throwaway comment like, that's not what the instructions said to do, or why did you use that colour? That's a bit silly. Our imagination and creative confidence is moulded at such a young age, and with the simple support of a parent or caregiver or teacher, our perception of our creativity can either be crushed or celebrated. So I wonder this week whether we have the opportunity to pay someone a creative compliment. Ask your kid why they love their favourite colour, or if you like a colleague's outfit, tell them and ask them the story behind that unique piece of jewellery. You'll boost their creative confidence and maybe even be inspired by something you never realised. That's it for today's episode. I love chatting to Manny about what creativity means to him, and I can't wait to bring you more conversations just like this one. If you learn something new, remember it by telling a friend. Or even better, share the whole podcast so they can listen in too. Subscribe where you love to listen to your podcasts and you'll never miss an episode. So until next time, I'm Trish Johnston and you've been listening to Creative Bones. Creative Bones.